Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is just a quick little introduction to let you know, firstly, that you should be listening to Jackie Cation's stand-up comedy. Um, we talk about it a lot on this episode, so I don't need to overdo the plug at the top, but she is honestly one of the most brilliant comedic minds in the world and should be a much bigger star than she is. So uh, I am so excited to have my great mate Jackie on today's episode. You can check out, of course, her podcast, The Dork Forest, which I have been a guest on a couple of times trying to explain cricket and Australian rules football to Jackie, which is always great fun. And it was so nice to have her on Philosophy and uh, have a little chat about life in general. Hopefully Jackie's going to be in Australia next year. That seems to be the plan. So when she is, um, I will post about that on the social medias or at least get somebody else to post on my behalf. I am not on social media anymore personally. So if you do message me on the socials, unfortunately I do not get them, but I am trying to uh, provide more content uh, to be posted on my behalf and to make sure that everybody knows what's going on, both in the world of my live touring, the television stuff, and of course the podcast. So speaking of the podcast, some changes coming to this feed, all good. Don't panic, everyone relax. In fact, everyone relax are a couple of key words uh, about what is going to happen. If you are a regular listener to Philosophy, you're probably aware of the fact that I do other podcasts, even if you don't listen to them. Uh, nothing is going to happen to your feed. If you are subscribed to this Philosophy feed, uh, the episodes of Philosophy will keep popping up in this feed and you will get them consistently. Uh, part of uh, the changes that are coming are to make sure that there are going to be regular episodes of Philosophy coming out every week, uh, not only as they have done all this year, but into the future. And we are going to rename this channel from Philosophy uh, because it's going to have some company. There are going to be some other shows that are going to be in here, um, other things that I make uh, or are related to things that I make. Look, I'm not going to get ahead of the game. The announcement's coming very soon. Uh, all I'm going to say is if you're a regular Philosophy listener and all you like is Philosophy, you don't listen to any other shows, it's not going to affect your life too much. Uh, you're already subscribed here. There's going to be a name change to this channel, but that will just happen automatically. You don't need to resubscribe. And if you are somebody who's just visiting from one of those other channels and you're a fan of TOFOP or FOFOP or Two Guys, One Cup or Two Guys, One Earn or... Um, any of the various shows uh, that Charlie and I make together, well, there's some really positive changes coming in our world and it will be very evident to you in the next couple of weeks. Is, that's, that's not too much, right? I've got, like, I'm trying to, you know, let you all know what's going on without giving away the big surprise of what's going on. I mean, I feel like I've given away a lot of the bigger surprise of what is going on. But anyway, that's fine. I, uh, speaking of live shows, there's a couple of things that I want to talk to you about. One is that my final live show for uh, the year 2023 is happening in Sydney this weekend at the Sydney Comedy Store. It is my completely improvised crowd work show. What are you talking about, Will? And I do that... Um, it was born at the Sydney Comedy Store. I do it on a Saturday afternoon. It's a perfect time to do it. It is my final show of the year. There are still tickets available, and I would love that to sell out for the final show so that we can have 2023 go out with a bang. And in 2024, I have so many live shows. If you would love to come and see me live, then I've got some good news for you. Firstly, there's some more improvised shows in Sydney and Newcastle. 
uh, during January, although those are selling out very quickly. And then after that, I've got a brand new national tour. It is called Will Legitimate. Uh, it is a brand new show, a brand new stand-up show, and I will be trying to tour it all over Australia, or at least to as many places as I can get to in between my other commitments. It's probably going to be my biggest tour uh, for a very long time. And so I'm very excited to be getting back out on the road to do these shows. Uh, those tickets are already on sale in a couple of places. I know just the venues have been doing some pre-sales, but will be officially on sale for nearly everywhere else. Uh, maybe even by the time you hear this, or at least in the uh, few days afterwards. So Will Legitimate is the name of that tour. You can find all the details at comedy.com.au. My television show, Question Everything, is uh, still filming in Sydney. Uh, by the time you hear this, we'll still have two episodes left to go. Uh, studio audience tickets to that are free, but they fill up very quickly. So if you would like to be involved in either of the final two shows of Question Everything, uh, then you can go to Eventbrite and find the details there or links in any of my socials. Um, but if you really want to support me, come and uh, come <laughs> come to the live show in Sydney. Uh, don't come to the free one on a Tuesday night. Well, come to the free one on a Tuesday night, but also come along to the live show in Sydney uh, on Saturday. Um, yeah, you know, that would make me feel good as well. Plus, you know, like it would be obviously better for me financially. Let's be honest, if you all came along to that. But really, I just want a big full room for the final show. Anyway, you don't need me to beg. Have some dignity, man. Uh, question everything. Uh, we've loved this season. And if you like the show, then please go to ABC iView. And um, if you could uh, watch episodes of it on ABC iView, that's obviously good for our chances of the show being renewed. And also if you could share any of the social things, if you're in, on social media, uh, yes, um, I've been uh, posting, uh, or at least having posted on my behalf, a whole bunch of stuff to my social media from Question Everything. So, if you are overseas and you can't access ABC Ivy, you can still see a whole bunch of clips from the show on my social media. If you want to check all those things out, uh, okay, that's my intro for Jackie Cation. Uh, the best, honestly, just one of the people I love the most in world comedy is Jackie Cation, and I think you are really going to enjoy uh, this episode of Philosophy. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast, and this is how the show starts. I ask my guest who they are. So who are you? Me? Well... <laughs> I'm Jackie Cation, and I'm a stand-up comic from uh, the United States of America. You've heard of it. Uh, <laughs> some good news, some bad news. Some things have been co-opted. Other things have just been abandoned. Anyway, Jackie Cation. Hi. Hi, Jackie. with a K. Hi, Jackie Cation with a K. It is so lovely to have you on the podcast. It's so funny because... Uh, only, I think, two or three weeks ago, we sat in these exact same chairs in these exact same spaces, <laughs> but the uh, shoe was on the other foot, as they say, because uh, you were talking to me for your podcast, The Dork Forest, and uh, uh, we were speaking about AFL football. It happens to be the grand final day, the Super Bowl of AFL football today, which is, we were just having a little chat about that off air, but uh, it's lovely to have you on this podcast. You've done a whole bunch of my other shows over the past, but you've right. never been here on Philosophy, and... I'm really pleased to have you here. Um, I'm going to say something to you that I said to you on your podcast, but I'm going to say it up front. Get it out of the way. I like to get the embarrassing stuff out of the way, and then we can get on with the rest of the conversation. So 
Jackie released an album after the pandemic. It is called Staycation. And I recommend to people that they listen to this album because I honestly believe, I've been thinking about this over and over and more and more. And funnily enough, I've actually been listening to even more comedy albums since I last spoke to you about this. I believe it might be one of the top five, top 10 comedy albums released in the last 20 years. I think it is such a beautiful piece of work. Like the construction, the perspective, particularly when it was released, that a piece of post-pandemic, I mean, and I use post-pandemic only in the sense that we've declared it over, not that it is actually over. But I call it I call it post-lockdown. <laughs> yeah, post-lockdown. Post us yeah. post people paying any attention to the fact that we're still in yes. a pandemic. Piece of art. It is the thing I love about it the most is not just that it is exquisitely put together comedy. I mean the jokes are fantastic. They are well constructed, they are well written. But they are, for something that was conceived in a time where people could not really work out their material, it feels right. so worked out. It feels oh, so, you. you know, polished and not in a bad way, like in a way that no. almost no one else was able to achieve in that time and place. It is right. a great work of art and I think that everybody should listen to it. There you go. That's the I embarrassing bit of the I appreciate that because it's coming from you, mm. Will Anderson, and uh, you're a great comic. I mean, I miss just sort of seeing you around Los Angeles when when we, we could see each other and um, I'm going to come there and then we will have coffee. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, because that's I am, the first time I ever had a flat white. Well, I'm, was in Melbourne. I am currently, you probably, I'm going to like, this is a very visual uh-huh. thing, but look at that. Look at that. Look at how look good at that. that coffee that I am having here. That right, looks, looks amazing. Good, yeah. I'm having a water. It's because I have Jackie, because I love coffee. I'm very, very on brand for an Australian <laughs> <laughs> to love coffee. I love coffee too. You know, there's a new club here in Los Angeles called The Crow, mm-hmm. and it is a beautiful space. It is incredibly well curated. They have snacks galore. Uh, their coffee game uh, can fuck itself. They can't, they, for the love of God, why, what is the problem, I say? Because they have, I love them dearly, but uh, you can't get a cup of coffee and you can't even get it in that area. Well, Amer- like, American coffee in general. So there's this coffee tradition in America, which is this like, you know, that drip pot coffee, whatever that, whatever that is, <laughs> whatever, whatever that thing is. The- well, you remember the Conestoga <laughs> wagon trains and the boiling of coffee over the pot flames. Yeah, but we're still not uh, in wagon trains. You can move on <laughs> with your coffee game. Right. You can knock yourself mm. out, you guys. Australians <laughs> be- like to think this is one of the cocky things that Australians like to say about coffee because we are a coffee obsessed nation, if people don't know that. But uh, the Australians listening will know it. I think that people worldwide will start to know it because often like when countries get good coffee, it's because some Australian has moved to their country and opened a cafe yeah. because we like to say that the Italians invented it, but we perfected it. And oh, uh, we're wow. very snobbish about like the quality of coffee. <laughs> well, you're closer to where it's grown, quite honestly. You're Sumatra's right there. And uh, I mean, we have Colombia's not that far. 
But, um, it's, uh, Which is why I you have better say, cocaine in America than in Australia. Amazing. You couldn't imagine the kind of cocaine. Let me just see what I can find in my pockets. Yeah, that's, that's how prevalent it is and cheap over there that even Jackie, who does not do cocaine, probably has some cocaine on her. Just loose cocaine that someone's just, handed yeah, me. You don't know. In her pockets. But I have a machine which I can only describe as it would be before you get into the genuinely, you know, talk, we're talking three, four, five thousand dollar machines, you know, the proper for a cafe <laughs> coffee machine. Right. Wait, do you have an espresso machine in your house? Yeah. Is that what I'm yes. hearing? Yes. Does everyone have an espresso machine of some sort in their home? No, not everybody. Nobody's got a Mr. Coffee? Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, nobody's got a Mr. Coffee. Mr. Coffee's not welcome okay. in our country. There's a picture of Mr. <laughs> coffee at the border, a big red circle and a line through Mr. Coffee saying, no, thank you, sir. Get out. I right. recently, so this this one, I, I don't, I, I shouldn't feel embarrassed about how much it costs because it still costs less than most people's phones cost these days, but <laughs> it was a expensive enough machine and but now I can make proper, like, you know, the sort of coffee you would get in a fancy coffee shop, I can make it myself at home, which is very much like a meth addict having a meth lab in their own house. And just think of how much money you're saving just being able to make it in your own home. Well, based on the idea that It'll it would cost about itself. $6 for a store-bought coffee a day, I'm imagining that I'm saving at least $30 a day. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting about coffee yeah. because... Um, there's two, there's two, there's two schools as to people who love coffee. My brother, Phil, uh, he only drinks espresso. And whenever I order a coffee, I usually get it with milk. And he always goes, why don't you just get hot chocolate? What are you, what are you an adult? And I was like, calm yourself. I have four brothers and they continue to be brothers. Uh, but the, uh, the, uh, yeah, but there's, he sent me a cold brew kit. Mm which is a way to make a drip coffee that is then iced. Do you enjoy an iced coffee at all? Yeah, I don't no? mind an iced coffee, like in the summer months. Okay. But the Italians, they don't drink milk coffee after midday. So if you're in if you're in Italy and you ordered a milk coffee of some kind after oh, midday. They... I, uh, some sort of pariah. Mm. It turns out I was told that I could get a latte in the morning, mm. but if I wanted milk in my coffee in the afternoon, I had to get a cappuccino. Mm. Uh, which has milk, but for some reason, and it's okay then. And I was like, all right, it seems like semantics, but do whatever you need to do to get me another cup of coffee with milk. I must it, say that for all my coffee snobbishness that I've just demonstrated, I am absolutely of the opinion that some coffee is better than no coffee. The worst coffee, like I oh. will have the worst Amen. coffee rather than have no coffee. And it is a right. sliding scale. You know, for yes. me, in that I enjoy a good coffee, depends. but I'm totally fine with an okay coffee as well. And you, how much do you need the coffee? Like, where are you at in your life? Like, are you just like, I just need some coffee? And exactly mm. is what you just said. That's and it, and it'll it'll be fine. I, I'll have any coffee. It's interesting to me because there must be like some sort of reliance on. It in for the stimulant factor, like the fact that it is a drug and that I am consuming this sort of drug, right? There must be some of that. However, mostly <laughs> it seems to me to be pleasure focused rather than like I, 
It's rare to me. Have that you tried to stop drinking it, or have you tried to drink decaf? Because there's that Danish mm. water processed decaf that's supposed to be no chemicals. You know, mm. you know Denmark. Those guys <laughs> and their crazy wind turbines, and they're we're not going to use chemicals. So they have they have a process of making decaffeinated coffee that doesn't involve any chemicals. I and so I think this is why it leans into the I like the flavor and the taste and the the process more than I need the drug of it i don't mind a decaf and if i'm at a restaurant oh. at night like post meal and i don't want to like have oh. a caffeinated beverage that late at night i will often have like a decaf coffee because i like the i still like the ritual and the flavor and all that of the you know coffee. what i just found out i just found out that my father doesn't drink anything but coffee and terrible coffee by mm. the way like old Mr. Coffee. But like water like as liter- well? Like does he, because it's. He doesn't drink absolutely water. Absolutely dehydrates you. You've absolutely. got to be drinking some water if you're the drinking that much coffee. The guy is just a piece of leather. <laughs> and I'm like, why are, wait, I, I mean, because you go out to any meal with him, mm. all he gets is coffee. Yeah. It doesn't matter what he orders. If he orders a steak, if he orders mm. pasta, if he orders a sandwich, if he, if it's breakfast, lunch or dinner, he would like six cups of coffee in a row. And they bring him water and he ignores it. And I just occurred to me that that's, it's, I, I mean, don't think that's really safe. should just be balancing those out for every coffee he has. He also should be having a glass of water. That's right. That's what we're here to teach you, you guys. Anyway, welcome to Coffee Chat yes. with Will and Jackie. <laughs> this is actually <laughs> philosophy. This is my, um, but I wanted to talk to you about um, your comedy first and foremost, just because Appreciate I'm such that. a huge fan of it. And recently, I mean, we've always known this is the case, but recently, particularly as I've delved into the world of comedy albums, so I, wow. I've... I, That's better. You're a braver person than I. Uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of complicated reasons that it has been happening, and I don't need to delve into every, every one of them, but uh, partly it is because I, I found a real frustration with, you know, the comedy specials. Everyone has a filmed special now and I was watching so many of them and I started to think that I didn't like comedy and that's never been some – I've never been that person. Oh, right. I've always yeah. been a person who's loved watching other comedians, enjoyed – part of the reason I became a comedian was that I just loved comedy. I loved being around people and their ideas and I always thought that I loved all sorts of comedy and watching these specials on, on you know, on the streamers and these sort of places – I just could not connect with a lot of them. Like the really excellent ones would still cut through, but a lot of them sure. by comedians that I had seen and admired. But they admired, had to cut through, yeah. Like just left me cold and I wondered why it was. And I've got a, a whole bunch of various theories, but part of it <laughs> is I think that if somebody is going to the effort of filming a special, then – and I've done this myself. You make sure you do it in a big theatre and you have a big set and you have all these other things because it feels like we've spent all this money and we're going to show it to people that should look like a big show. And in doing that, it takes away sometimes the rhythm and the experience of actually how the show was conceived and meant to be performed. Whereas comedy albums, a lot of them are actually just performed in a regular comedy club with a regular-sized comedy audience and the comedy itself – you don't take out much more accessible and also much more accessible that idea of on a comedy album like some of your favorite lines will be lines that only get like on a big comedy special on like when you're watching it if it doesn't get a huge laugh it's almost like that joke or that idea didn't work whereas right. on a comedy album 
often the, my favourite bits of the comedy album are the asides or the joke that only gets like the third of the audience, yeah, but yeah. it becomes your favourite bit. And it, it, it fits so much more in peace with the rest of the show than it does in that big context. I also, yeah, go on, Jackie. Well, I was just going to say, on the Dork Forest, did we talk about my the, the ways that you should watch and consume stand-up comedy? No, but please, because I because I have a this. the best the best way to consume stand-up comedy, in my opinion, is live in person watching someone on on stage, mm. and not on a jumbotron. I mean, if you have to, I suppose it's fine, but whatever. And that and that's what that's what this turns out to be. It's like. Smaller venues and stuff. Ronnie Cheng, who I'm sure you would know, the the Australian Malaysian US comedian <laughs> Ronnie Cheng, oh, right. um, yeah, yeah, I've heard of was him. Was in Australia recently, just doing a couple of stadium shows. And I've never done stadium shows because it's not how I prefer to do comedy. But he said, "Would you love to? Would you like to come down and you know do a guest spot and see what it's like to perform in front yeah. of six and a half thousand people?" And I I did, and it was a fine enough experience for 15 minutes. But then I went and watched his show because I wanted to see the show and I watched it from about halfway. So I, I guess there was three or 4,000 people in front of me. There was still another two and a half thousand people behind wow. me where I was. And at that point you were mostly watching it on the, the screen. And yep. I noticed that even though he was killing and I mean, you know, doing a really yes. brilliant show that behind me, people weren't really laughing, laughing. They were enjoying the show very much, but they were just right. far enough away that they weren't laughing in the way that a, cl- you know, a crowd or even the people down the f- you know, d- the first couple of thousand people might have been laughing, laughing. You know, there was a different <laughs> the first couple. There was a yeah. different energy to the show. What do you think is the ideal amount of like your perfect amount? If you were going to say this is to for me for Jackie Cation to do a show to a perfect amount of audience, magic wand, you get to say. Jackie, we're going to give you a full crowd every single night. Yeah. Yeah. 45 yep. weeks a year. I, we could fill mm. a, a, a room and it'll be under. Mm. And what it is, is it's about 260, 280. Yeah, that sounds right. Less than 300. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, sometimes I open for Brian Regan yep. and he, I have opened for him at stadiums where 11,000 people and, and, and will in the round. Mm. Oh, yeah. Have you ever tried to tell jokes to people behind you? <laughs> Who gets the punchline? You get the setup, this person gets the punchline? Where's the fairness there? That doesn't seem fair. I also opened for Brian Regan at, and thank you God Brian mm-hmm. Regan likes me enough to have him open yeah. for him, but at Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Well, uh, Brian Regan gets there first and asks you. Yeah, yeah and then brings you along. <laughs> and, uh, but it's not built for stand-up. It's yeah. four tiers. It's built for opera, right? So you spend like your time shouting at the fourth tier going, do you want to hear my Dune joke? <laughs> Absolutely not. No one wants to hear your joke about water conservation. And uh, so... So the I mean yeah. okay so it's it's live yes. and then albums mm-hmm. right yeah and albums are the just because it's all audible right because it's just all auditory and then if you have to a set on TV or clipped out or whatever you like right like on a screen and the worst way as I've told you before is when the comic is some sort of character on Law and Order and they're about to either be a witness oh or be murdered yeah. and uh, <laughs> I can't I cannot watch 
TV shows about stand-up comedy. I understand Hacks is good yeah. because they're mostly not on stage. Mm-hmm. It's mostly off-stage stuff, but I still don't care. Yeah, I mean, um, Hacks is good, yeah. which is, I think what makes it even better, like, as a show is the fact that they have managed to make a good show about stand-up comedy, which I thought was something that was absolutely impossible to do. So hard to mm. do. and But I will say, here's my question. As, let's get back to me. Yeah. This let's is very egotistical. No, no, this, uh, this is, I, podcast is all about you. I mean, I'll interrupt right? a bit, but it, like, it is mostly about you. So Staycation, of course, mm. named because my last name's Cation and we were all home like a vacation, mm. but we were, get it? Anyway. If you don't so, get that, I mean, I feel like that should be the point of entry. Should the be rest super of it, easy. The rest of it might not be for you. <laughs> right. Well, right. And weirdly enough, before lockdown and before the pandemic, it was going to be mm. called Altercation. Oh, right. And there was a couple of bits that I cut off of it because we were 16 months mm of doing stand-up just on Zoom and, I don't know, to people in cars shouting at them. <laughs> uh, and, um, but, so, have you heard, because here's the thing, I love, I mean, I love my own comedy. I'm not going to lie to you. I have very good uh, self-esteem about my stand-up comedy. You, it's all well, working you out should, for me. though, because it, yeah, it is really... That. Like, I mean, again, we're friends and we've known each other a long time. Yeah. But I'm not saying this because we're friends. I'm saying this because I've been <laughs> listening to a lot of stand-up comedy albums and I believe Jimmy Pardo recently referred to you and said you are up there with like acts like Nate Bargatze and I 100% endorse that. And Yeah, I, Nate Bargatze's a delight. Yeah, and one of the uh, best. So, but yeah. like really yeah. genuinely like – you know, and becoming one of the hugest comedy stars in the world. But your work is equally at that level. I agree. Uh, not that I don't love Nate, mm. but I will say this. Here's my question. Have you heard the previous album, the Hero album? Yeah, I mean, I have over the years heard all your albums when they came out. Right, because because here's the thing. I used to think that the Hero album was my best album. And um, just because there was a change in my stand-up. Mm-hmm. That what happened. was the change? The bread, well, the the bread album is essentially the first fifteen years mm-hmm. of my of me doing stand up. That's what bread yep. is. Circus people, don't bother. Some guy, <laughs> some fan of mine, by the way, he told me he listened to my albums in reverse mm-hmm. orders and listened to me get worse at stand up. I comedy. mean, but that's and I was like, most people what? would if you yeah. would do that. And why would you tell me mm. that? I get it. Yes, but Thank also you. that's just a, get better. that's actually yes. taking something that is a compliment and intentionally making it an insult. Because actually, right. what that is, if you think about it, is you have got much better, which is a compliment. Yes. And what you just would like that. to do, you don't need right. to say, "I watched it backwards and it got worse." <laughs> <laughs> I know. What a negative I reframing was... of a positive thing. <laughs> Absolutely no need for any of that. So I watched your life backwards and you got dumber <laughs> yeah. you were a baby at one point <laughs> i once oh this is uh tangential but i showed up to do a gig in austin texas once and they had a very old headshot of me oh, yeah. one of the most andy kindler's wife used to do headshots mm. and she's an amazing photographer and uh it's a great picture of me but it was easily 12 years out of date and 10 years out of date and i go I, I know I sent you guys a new headshot. And the woman who ran the club said, oh, we just thought that was a really cute picture. And I said, 
Yeah, I have some really cute baby pictures too, but people are going to show up and hope to see what's happening there. And that is not, they're going to think I'm the asshole who wanted you to get something where I was better looking. I mean, looking it would be younger. great if all the pictures were people's baby pictures. If some club just said, we're only, like, we're only advertising you coming up, please send us a baby photo. Oh my God, that would be yeah. so funny. Yeah, you're right. You're correct. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, so okay. you did. So you, the first fifteen years. So, the first one yeah. is the first fifteen years. So a lot of people's first albums or like whatever they might are amazing. Be. Did you see Chris Rock's first special? Yes, of course, it was uh, outstanding. Mm. And his next special was a year and a half later, mm -hmm. and he had to hire writers, and he had to have someone help him write an hour. He had written the other hour over ten years. Um, so it was, I mean, he's very funny. It's good, but it is certainly not anything as good as the previous. But uh, so the, the, the album after, but here's what I do. And, and I don't have, I don't have a, a quality problem where Netflix is like, oh, you got to send put out a new special every year, Jackie. So I'm very lucky in the fact that my albums tend to come out every three or four years. So they better be good, right? They, they, they better be a, a lot of, you know, interesting. Though I did have, I don't know why this is turning into, people say weird things to me, Will. But I had a, another comic, uh, when one of my albums came out, he said, is it more stuff about your dad? Are you still talking about your dad? And I was like, yes. Is that not, how can I not talk about I'm going to talk about everyone who exists in my life until they no longer exist in my life. And when it's your parents, probably afterwards. I would suggest uh, so. Maybe even more yeah. afterwards because then you can really tell some stories. <laughs> no kidding. I recorded a dork forest with my dad. That made me so angry. I don't even know where that recording is. I kept it, but it made me so mad because it's a dork. But dork forest, of course, is what you really enjoy and like. And so I told my dad that I wanted him to dork out about sales. And it, that's when I found out that every my father considers every human interaction a sale, including women, including my mother, including my stepmother, you know, including his own sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, you're a dick. I love you, but this is really infuriating me. Although, he was telling is me there about like an element of, I mean, that you see the world through the prism of which you mostly do what you do? Because I think that comedians can be very guilty of like seeing human interactions and transactions through the prism of comedy. Like, is it only just that a result guilty. of the fact that he, yes. you know, is a salesperson by nature and being therefore everything comes across as a sale in the same way as everything comes across as a setup or a punchline or a routine yes. in our world. And it did, it did come. I did. I just had to make my peace with it. What specifically irritated me was him telling me stories of how he got laid while he was married to my mother. Oh, yeah, okay. And I was like, <laughs> hey, I, I don't yeah. like the math on that, yeah, Dad, yeah. in 1966. <laughs> and he goes, well, that's the math. I didn't, you know, it's not my fault. Mm, some of it, it's some specifically of it is your, your fault. fault. Yeah, you were the one. Yeah. Okay. Definitely, at least some of it, I would have thought. <laughs> okay, so bread is all the is all the stuff before. Yes. The next album is Horcrux, mm -hmm. where I start to actually yes. get a lot more personal. The Horcrux album is the first time I uh, 
you know, the, the Brett album is for anybody who mm. just really likes stand-up yeah. and some good sort of, it's a little more observational. Yeah. There's some family stuff. The Horcrux album actually uh, it is something where, like, I delve into sort of my relationships and I tell some sort of secrets and I talk about things that are real. And that's, uh, this will make an excellent Horcrux. Called that because my soul was in it. I think that that may have been the first album that I ever listened to of yours. I feel like that's, I feel like I did not listen to the first one first. I feel like Horcrux was probably the first one that I ever listened to. And it had a real sense of, like, and it, it makes sense the way you're explaining it now, but it had a sense of, here I am, this is who I am. This is, yes, yeah. exactly. And and then the one after that is the Hero album, and the Hero album uh, accidentally, much like the Staycation album, world events intervened, and uh, so th- I had forty five minutes of just regular, sort of personal but interesting stand up comedy to tell the world, and then Donald Trump was elected six weeks before I recorded, mm. and I became terrified. And I became angry and I, so the first 10 minutes of the hero album is the first time I'm ever overtly pop, uh, political. And, um, it turns out, it, it was, turns out it all worked yeah. out fine though, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, it's, oh, it's I mean, just fine. You must be embarrassed uh, about all those fears. I'm so embarrassed have. being scared. <laughs> yeah. Nothing happened anyway, uh, as we slide into fascism mm-hmm. and, uh, no, but well, the, uh, it's not like they'll elect uh, him again. Right. <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's funny about, about Trump is that, uh, is that my dad, when I, right before, cause Trump is essentially my dad on steroids. Right. Right. My father's the kind of guy who's like, I could be president, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I shouldn't be president. And in the next sentence, he'd be like, I would also like a presidential library. Do you think I could just go get go right to that? Go right to the library. Go right to the library. And uh, so but the notice, by the way, there's no Trump library. He's not working on it. Obama's working on his. And uh, like probably a month or so before the election, I said, do you think he could win, Dad, Donald Trump? And he goes, "You never know with sales, Jackie. He could make the. You never. Know, you might make the sale. You don't even know you're. You're. You got a chance. So he was right, you know. And what he what what my father also famously said about uh, Hillary Clinton. He said she's not hot, but she's overqualified. <laughs> I was like, however you got to get there, Dad. It's fine. I am interested in the the Trump sales thing because I think that your your dad's actually hit on a really insightful point there, which is that if you base your entire country, people ask me a lot, friends of mine in America who I worked with, who I talked to on this podcast and other shows, you know, are always like, when are you coming back? And I was like, have you had a look around where you live? Like, why? You yeah. tell me why would I come back, not when. Right. Uh, you tell me yeah. why and I'll tell you when. But yeah. <laughs> I reckon you've got to sort some of your own stuff out first before I revisit. Uh, yeah. You have to be there, but I don't have to. I can. I, right. 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 I have to help clean up the mess that is my country. Yeah. And everyone has a, has a varying degrees of mess. Oh, we've in their got own our country. own messes. Don't you worry about that. Right. But America's exactly. mess is sales based. So I think when you base your entire country's 
a unique selling proposition on the idea that you are the ultimate you know, it's the ultimate brand, right? America, we're number one, like the country, like, you know, the, the living advertisement for capitalism and all that is capitalism is America, you know? And I think that it is a country of sales, like that is what it is. And then it should be no surprise that you elect a salesperson. A salesman, right? yeah. Yeah, I, and I'll say this, is what people have forgotten was that the game Monopoly mm. was actually created in the early 1900s in the United States as a warning right. about capitalism. <laughs> and we would be the only banana heads who'd be like, this is the greatest game. Let's play over mm. and over. Break the economy. Let's break it and, and you're like, base our entire country on this game. <laughs> yes. You're just like... <laughs> Hey, dummy. All right. Uh, it's, hilarious. it's hilarious. And it's interesting because one of the new bits I'm working on is because wherever you live, right, you you end up loving your country and you, you see its flaws and you see the problems and it's like your house, wherever mm. your apartment, mm. wherever you live, you're like, it's mine. This is where I live. So you can't hate it. Uh, and some people, whereas are you can, more, you're allowed to. You're allowed to go. I hate that shower right. that never works, or I, you know, right. the, that creak in the wall, or whatever it is. You're allowed to, but I can't come you're, over and say your your shower. Look at no this good. piece yeah. of shit that you live in. <laughs> and right, and, and and I can say, yeah. like when I go in and I clean the bathroom, mm. it makes more obvious that the kitchen could desperately use to be cleaned. Yeah, you know. Well, all right, we worked on sexism. It turns out the kitchen is full of an environmental problem mm. that we might want to look into. <laughs> and so, I mean, I'm working on a bit about that, but right now it's mostly just a, a TED talk. It needs like a lot of punchlines for anyone to sit through it that isn't, you know, a, like a fringe. Okay, so when we were going through the albums and I love this, like, let's talk through the whole journey because it feels like, so, you, so Hero was the one that had the 10 minutes of Donald Trump Trump inspired yeah. material yeah. at the last moment. And then, so then what is, what happens after that? That's 2016. After that, right. 2016. Mm -hmm. So the next album is the staycation yeah. album, which was supposed to come out in 2019, 2020. And then the pandemic happens. Right. And so I go into lockdown and I've got, I've got the album almost done. You know, when you, you know, when you say I got a tight hour and you mean you got a tight 45. And uh, so I was working on that last 15 and we go into lockdown and I immediately start doing Zoom shows, which means I can still work on the stuff that works and keep it sort of, you know, tight, except for everyone knows that on Zoom and on any sort of, there's lag and it, it's like playing a large theater or it's like pay, playing a stadium where you have to wait for the setup to hit the back wall for it to roll back. And then you do the punchline and you got to wait for that to hit the back wall and the laugh to come back. But there's no back wall on the Internet. Right. So I'm, so I'm fascinated by this. Is, so I'm yeah. so I listen to you talk about this a lot on the Jackie and Laurie show. Laurie Kilmartin, who has been in previous guests on this show, people should also check Laurie out, one of the funniest people a in the delight. world. And I believe has a new special of her own coming out very soon. But um, you would talk a lot about the process of what you both were doing during the lockdown in particular and how you were working material. I So I did the opposite. So as someone who'd done a new 
show at the comedy festival so that was kind of my new hour-ish you know every year normally sort of 70 70 or 80 minutes but like yeah my 70 or 80 minutes probably only has the material that your 45 has in it like you know i'm a longer form storyteller and you know i can pad it out a little bit longer (laughs) with my long rambling (laughs) stories oh but and a fringe will sit they, right. they loved it. They want to hear That's it. right. So, yeah, different environment. It's not for recording and it doesn't need to be polished down to that. And so – and the fact that I'm doing it every year has its own internal momentum as well, of course. So right. it doesn't have the same thing of we've been waiting for three years for this. They're like, we saw what you did last year. We want to see what you've been up to <laughs> this year. And so I took the opportunity – I did one show, like one thing that I had to do that didn't have an audience at the start of the lockdowns. And then after that, I just decided I didn't feel like doing Zoom shows or any of those things was for me. It just didn't feel like it was a healthy thing for me to be able to like to do. And so I just took a break. And that was the first time I'd had a break in a very long time. But I, so I didn't have any of this experience of what you're talking about. So I would love for you to talk about, like, you just decided that you were going to keep doing it. Was it partly because you already had the album mostly done and ready or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'm not saying I don't need the attention and I don't love stand up so much that I also need to do stand up all the time because I do. And when you think about it, because what you just said, uh, you hadn't taken a break in a long time. I had not been home home for 16 months in a row, ever. In 30 years, I had not done such a thing. And so I got to, you know how many people got divorced. You know how many people got, you know, had. there's trouble when you, you're right there with your loved ones and it's hard. And I got to spend essentially a little over a year with my husband who I've always liked. Mm-hmm. And it turns out <laughs> I like him even more now. Well, that's good. That's, <laughs> that's good nice, news. right? And uh right. I and I feel very lucky because of it, because it could have, you know, you don't I mean, except for that we don't really whenever we have any minor disagreement, and that's all we really have, is uh one of us will usually go, Oh my god, our first fight. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> Because we don't fight. (laughs) Some people are like, it's a passionate experience. And I read romance novels where there's, where there's a lot of like passionate, you know, opposites attract. In our case, it's a, it's a, a connection of nerds. We win. And, uh, and he is a delight. He's better looking than I've ever needed. And so I'm, so I'm always psyched about that. I would have settled for half of that. Well, better looking than I've ever needed. It's great. I like him. It's all, he's funny. He's smart. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, and it happened almost, you know, Within a week, I was doing Zoom shows. And it helped because I also, like my therapy was on Zoom as well. Mm -hmm. So I immediately got a Zoom account, like within days. And I'm like, oh, well, we could do stand-up like this. And so the Zoom things, what I learned from it is that there's people all over the world who want to see my stand-up because they've heard my albums or they've heard the podcasts and they've never got to see the stand-up and everybody was lonely, you know? And it was weird being in people's homes. One of my favorite things 
and I still do it when we do Zoom shows because I still do Zoom shows occasionally, um, is I do, I like to go around and anybody who has a cat or a dog or a stuffed animal or something want to show me because just some sort of humor, fuck human interaction, right? Because people, it's, it's hard sometimes to genuinely just be alive anyway. And during lockdown, when you're even more isolated, well, just let me, let me see your dog. Mm. Let me see, you know, what are you reading? <laughs> it's uh well, I'm reading about how to build a bomb. Ooh, disappointed. Uh, so, yeah. But it was, you know, it was 16 months of, and I was doing probably four Zoom shows a week. And it also, I didn't have any income. And so it generated probably two to $500 a week. And because people would throw me five bucks, they throw me 20 bucks. One woman gave me $10,000. And I was like, what? And she said, well, I've been listening to the Dork Forest for the last 15 years and I've never given you any money. And now we're in a pandemic and I have a good job. So have some money. I mean, yeah. And if you break that down... Into if you know, yeah. like it's, it, it is a reason. It sounds like an incredible amount of money, but at the end of the day, for some, and it felt like an incredible and, amount I mean, of money. And I imagine at the time it was probably a, quite a life changing amount of money. Honestly, like in a it, time when all really, your work went it away, it probably helped. Yes, yes. And like even for someone who's a fan of yours and has got something clearly from having listened to your show for so long to be able to help you in that way, I imagine they got a lot of personal pride out of that the fact that you know you are able to then keep making the thing that they enjoy as well there is some self-interest in it but they must have also got some like it'd be like sponsoring your favorite athlete or sponsoring right. you know like you know but contributing and kind of to getting something. to meet them mm. you know like like how cool would it be if i got to meet whoever mm, right right and uh yeah were there any australian comics doing it to your knowledge oh yeah was no, fiona o'loughlin doing it i mean people were doing People would. I want. I, I want Fiona O'Loughlin to do it so that I can go watch mm. Fiona O'Loughlin. So Fiona, uh, I mean, Fiona, look, it's it's hard to know what Fiona's doing in general these days. It's <laughs> good fair for to say. her. She's a mystery, you guys. <laughs> she definitely is. She's a lovable and adorable, and we all love Fiona. <laughs> but it is absolutely there is. It sometimes is a mystery where she is and what she's doing and what she's up to. <laughs> so who knows? Fair enough. Uh, so okay, so so you did this album staycation. You worked it up during the yep. pandemic and then released it. And it's just so. So did you wait until though you could go back then in front of like audiences and clubs and work it a bit as well? Like yes, so that, I gave that, myself yes. ten weeks. Okay, I gave myself. I booked. I booked two almost three months of gigs so that I could get at least like I don't know. That would be like probably forty sets. Uh, of long sets so that I could, I could do it, do it, do it. And then I, and then I always record at my home club in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, because I'm never more comfortable than when I'm in uh, performing at Acme. I'm always willing to. It's one of the, I mean, for someone like me who was lucky enough to, when I was in America, I was, we were talking about you. I was very lucky though. Honestly, so lucky that like the amount of clubs that I got to play, like I was lucky in that. But then yeah. if you 
like the quality of the clubs that I got to play. You know, the, the right the ones that right. Yeah. You weren't just doing Tucson, no. Right, like you know, it's, uh, when Gary everybody Bynum's. says, "Hey, my favorite is like Comedy Works in Denver," I'm like, "Oh yeah, I played there all the time." Hey, my favorite is Acme in Minneapolis. I'm like, "Oh yeah, I played there all the time." Like I got to, you know, like when I hear people, did you do comedy on stage? Yep. Yeah, beautiful club. Guess what? In fact, top three clubs in the country for me. Like literally, and I'm sure uh, that there's others. Uh, this but, is so yeah. funny. I'm literally going to show you something that I I'm moving house at the moment, and uh, I found a CD that you might be able to read. Just the, I don't know if you can read the compact reflection disc. there. It's a compact disc. Will Anderson. Will Anderson. There it is, seven eighteen fifteen. Oh, that they burned you a CD. Yeah, so there's me at Comedy on State. <laughs> there, so I yes. have not had a listen to it, but Madison, Wisconsin, there is literally a, a CD One of, of the that sets. show. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so these incredible clubs. Like I felt very lucky that I was not just getting to play clubs, but I was getting to play these incredible clubs. And Acme is absolutely one Lewis, of them. Lewis was talking about how much he loved, he liked you last, yeah. I was there last week. Cause, uh, I, you know, I get to play once a year. It's my home club. I love it dearly. And, um, I will say this about staycation. I'm psyched. You could hear it. Where did you, what platform did you hear it? on? Uh, if I might ask, yeah. like at Amazon or iTunes or I listened to, um, and did you buy the album or is it streaming? Oh, look, Jackie, I would love to say <laughs> that I bought all these albums, but I bought oh, no. the subscription to the streamer yeah. in which they are played. But I, um, well, cause they get <laughs> all of my albums got kicked off. They were no, they were not available, and some of them still aren't on Pandora. Uh, all of them are well, actually, I my phone. Sirius XM so and Pandora. I listen to yeah. all of mine on um, the iTunes Apple Music subscription that I have on my phone. So right, so it's back. Yeah, yeah. So that and it was always on Amazon and I. That's true. Amazon and iTunes had it because you could buy it. Um, but it was taken off of the streaming services like Spotify and Pandora and SiriusXM, which is, by the way, where all of my royalties were coming uh, from. Yes, right. Very sad. I got sucked into a, a lawsuit against SiriusXM and Spotify. And SiriusXM and Spotify were sued by something called Spoken Giants. Uh, because you know how in music... There's three checks in royalties. Mm -hmm. The person who wrote the song, mm -hmm. the person who performed the song, and the people that published oh, the yeah, song. Oh, yeah, sure. Yep. So there's three. So Spoken Giants had an idea that that there should be two checks for the comics. Because you are both the and writer and the performer of the material. Yes. Okay. So they're not wrong, but they went about yeah. it in kind of a strong arm kind of way, yeah. Davy and Goliath. <laughs> and in real life, Goliath squishes yeah. Davy. Most of the time. So, like 999 yes. times out of a thousand, Goliath wins that. Davy can have a Goliath's good day, but yeah. like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Davey's gonna really have to ricochet yeah. that rock yeah. off of something yeah. to to beat him. Yeah. But next time, head. Goliath's gonna come with a helmet. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna get screwed. So all of my albums yeah. are gone from Pandora and Spotify. So and um, Staycation was released on sort of a, one of the architects of that lawsuit. So they. And I made this decision. This is on me. They encouraged me, and I made the decision to sign all five of my albums to this lawsuit. Right. And so all five of my albums were gone because Spotify was just like, oh, well, then we'll just remove, we'll yeah, just remove it. And of course they guess did. what? 
Nobody noticed. Nobody cared. Because uh, there's still a gajillion com- comedy albums out there. Not quality like Jackie Cation, but plenty of comedy. It's fun. Well, what I will tell people that I, is, that I do know is an absolute fact is that if you are like me who has an iPhone and has Apple Music yes. on your iPhone, you can absolutely listen to all your albums. <laughs> right. You can listen to all the albums on all of Apple and, and Amazon. You're doing fine. But I will say, yeah. so what I did after staycation, I got it back. Uh, I asked them if I could have the album back um, to re-release it under a different label because that label then got blackballed by even more so. Oh, okay, yes. And because they had anything to do with it. It's not. A, it's, a, it's a valid idea. They'll probably end up winning the lawsuit. It might take 10 years. Who's got the time? Uh, I'd lo- I have a house payment, right? Or my husband does. It's his house. So um, we are married. Mm. It's half I was going to say, under okay. California yeah. law. Like, California yeah. law. We're in this together. He's a good sport. Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> he's all things that are good. But I will say this. is um, The album after Staycation, because there is one, is just a set like that CD mm-hmm. from Comedy on State, and it was recorded at Comedy on State last year with all of the old material. I oh, the old material I could remember, mm-hmm. not a lot because what you know once you finish an album right. you're like I never want to tell those jokes again, mm. uh, and some stuff that I'm still working on so isn't done, so it's a mess. And I believe that's what I called that album. I called it something like It's a Mess. And, or Life is Messy, or I don't know what the hell I called it, but I've never listened to it. I gave it to my, uh, to my new label, and I said, why don't you cut this up into something and see if I get any royalties. So uh, well, lovely to have you on the show. Uh, we, uh, it's very nice to talk about stand-up with you, but let's talk about life as well. So the, okay. the, the, the premise of this podcast is that I ask people whether they have a life philosophy of any kind, and it can be in relation to anything. It can be work, life, love, comedy. It doesn't really matter, and it's also a perfectly appropriate answer to say that you don't, but I like to, to ask people the question. So d- do you? There's a lot of things that I that I try to live my life by and it's and it's it's because I spend because I'm in this business there's and it's not just this business it's every it's a normal human thing stand up comics are not special in the way that they're more self-absorbed or less self-absorbed have you met a really good plumber mm. jesus those guys <laughs> they think they're the they think the world begins and ends with them and they are not wrong uh, but <laughs> it's a it's a weird skill but um yeah recently like one there's you know, I read a lot of fiction and it's interesting. It's like stand-up comedy in, in many ways. Co- comic books, stand-up comedy, um, and just fiction in general uh, are, are so much alike to me because they can be written by anyone for anyone now. 
because of the way the media is, right? You can self-publish, you can, and I've read literature. I occasionally read nonfiction. I'm slightly defensive, but I will read a lot of, I read genre fiction, right? I read science fiction. I read mysteries. I do not read horror or thrillers. They scare me, so I don't. Uh, but I do read mystery novels, and I read um, romance novels, and I read uh, science fiction and westerns. <laughs> I've read a lot of westerns. Uh, not recently. But whatever it is, there's a lot of philosophy that comes out of these books that are probably they come from and and it's for me it's a lot about honesty because i was raised i wasn't raised necessarily to be dishonest but i feel like i was right i mean there was no overt you should go out there and become a cat burglar but there was that person is a schmuck you should take advantage of them and I mean, sales yeah. would be a very tough thing for someone to pursue if their guiding principle was honesty. You would <laughs> uh, you would always have to work for the best and best value product in the market to be able to make a sale if your entire approach was honesty based. My father has always said you have to believe in the product, and if you don't believe in the product, believe in the product. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what does I mean, that? And there then is you're some like, what does that mean? That, yes. Well, and the thing is, is you're like, what does that mean? And then you're like, I know exactly what that means. And so, but and all of my siblings are in sales, right? Uh, my oldest brother, it's a little money laundering, but it's mm. like sales. Uh, he's an evangelist uh, with his own church. Well, that's sales. So, that's sales of an idea, oh. of a philosophy, of a like that's sales, right? Yeah, I mean, my, and, my dad has always said that stand-up is, that, yeah, is sales. Of course it is. It's sales of ideas. You're selling your yeah. perspective or your idea to an audience, right? Right. I'm, I'm selling jokes. Yeah. I'm selling jokes. I'm selling me. I mean, I'm selling in a way, it's it. the ultimate snake oil, which is, can I con this crowd of people out of their money based on nothing more than my ideas? I don't even have a product. Like, at least a <laughs> snake oil salesman has some snake oil that people go home with. You'll come in I, and just going, listen to the spiel for the snake oil and then give me money based on the spiel. Well, I, I'm trying to trick them into laughing yeah. at jokes and things that I'm, you know, and it's, and I do have new merch. You guys should check out my made of bees, beanies. Uh, please don't order them in Australia. I'm so sorry. Uh, the shipping will be prohibitive. Uh, I do have a, a, a woman emailed me from, uh, I think she's in Melbourne or Adelaide and which are very different places. I know, but whatever. I can't remember where she's from. She wanted a made of bees beanie. And I said, I'm just going to send you the art. Yeah. Feel free to make your own. It'll be cheaper. And if you end up doing it and there's another 10 or $20 in it, just PayPal me. It'll be fine. But I mean, it would literally probably cost a hundred dollars for me to send you a hat. So, but when I come next uh, spring, I'll br maybe I'll bring some merch. You don't know. I don't even know. Yeah. Well, so, also uh, we, we should say to people that you aren't coming in spring. Like I am coming in spring. Your spring. 
but not our spring. Oh. Oh, that's right. Your fault. Yeah, your autumn. Our autumn. You'll be uh, here. So let's yes. not let's not so, let's not specifically say spring to people because that's really going to mislead them. About, April or May. Yeah, that's is right. what I'm coming. Will, March, April, yeah, May. It will something be like autumn that. in Australia. And it will be autumn of twenty four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, yeah. So honesty has been something I've had to learn sort of manually, as have all of my siblings. Like they're all in sales, and they all. There's a certain amount of there's a there's a certain amount of rejection of dishonesty of the best of my siblings. And and even my oldest brother, he's like the church did save his life and he is a better person than he's ever been. I'm not going to say I wish you weren't a better person than he is, uh, just because he's got a very mean Jesus, Will. And uh, I wish he had a nicer Jesus or would write a children's book called The Meanest Jesus. Anyway, it's a lot. But that's, I mean, but it's the same with all of us, right? Like in that there is types of comedy that are are the equivalent of the mean Jesus, the people who believe in the mean Jesus of comedy, you know? Like it is, you know, we are all... And like, I mean, not to quote your father back to you, but like there is an element of like, you got to believe in the product. I think that is actually right as a stand up. And if you don't, yeah. you've got to believe in the product. Like there's no use, <laughs> you know, not yeah. <laughs> like trying to sell what it is that you're doing on stage if that is the product that you're selling. It is better though, that if you can actually believe in what it is that you're selling, right? Right. So do you have to make some sort of mm. lateral move and sort of make peace with, with whatever you're doing? Mm. In any case, and and if I and when I see that I'm doing so, philosophically, if I see something that I'm doing that isn't just or it isn't good, I try to fix it, or I try to uh, no doubt justify it and figure out how I get to still do it. Right? Like I work at clubs that book bad guys. Mm-hmm. Right? Mean Jesus guys. Because some comics. That's what, what I'm going to call them mean Jesus guys, just for the sake the mean of Jesus the, guys. But I know what you mean. Bad guys, or both on or off stage, right? right? <laughs> yes. Like, yes. Right. There's trouble mm, there, yeah. is what I like to say. There's a little mm, trouble mm. there. I'm the last generation of there's trouble there, by the way, coming from women. Everyone under me is just like, no, there's criminality there. And yes, yeah, so so I, I work on sort of a, I try to be as generous with my integrity as I can be. And it's not perfect. It's, you know, the journey continues, but for the most part, I'm a better person than I was, you know, 30 years ago. Cause I'm in my fifties. Right. And everyone is, and I'm trying, I'm actively trying to be a decent person, which is the only way that gives me hope in these times. Because I can't fix anything. I can't fix what's happening in China. I can't fix what's happening in Russia. I can only help the person in front of me if I can, or not make their life harder, right? I love this. I love this, by the way. Like I, that question of are you actively trying to be a decent person is what a, what a great framing for like a way to approach life because 
I think so often we really discuss things as being binary, good, bad, you know, like, yeah, good, evil, all those sort of things. Whereas it's so hard to, like, for anything to be an absolute binary, you know, whereas this idea of holding yourself to, am I trying? Am I trying to be a decent person? And and am I honestly trying to be a decent person? And am am I trying to, you know, this idea that, like you'll never. Who am I lying yeah, to? That's right, yeah, right. I don't want. Yeah. Like, if you can have an honest account of your, this is the the, the hardest thing of all is like this conversation now we're having around mistakes, right? Which is, is there a path to redemption from mistakes? Uh, like, you know, should somebody be completely ruled out of society for having made a mistake? I think the thing that we don't talk about enough is, are they trying to? be better than the mistake, rectify their behavior, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying someone should get a free pass for making mistakes, but I also nope. think we should acknowledge that human beings will make mistakes and then yep. then our next conversation should be, are they trying to make reparation right. or be better or like, you know, actively engage in like improving and learning and moving on yes. from mistakes? Yeah, it's it's sort of like my sister gave me a book. Uh, it's called On Apology. Mm. It's how to apologize. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Never, no apology is ever started with. Mm. If I've offended yes. you, uh, or if no, if you, ha- I mean, that's you know, I have a really good friend who we spend a fair amount of time discussing integrity. She has integrity. She was raised with it. She's ahead of me in the game here, Will. So when we talk about it, she's like, we all make mistakes. You know, we all lose our temper. We all do whatever. And in the past, we might have done terrible things or bad things. And the first thing is to acknowledge that you did it. And the second thing is to not do it again. And then the third thing is to figure out how you can fix it. And if you can, right? I mean, sometimes the way to fix it is to just, you know, there's some people who don't want to talk to me anymore. I used to, uh, yeah, it wasn't, I, I, I wasn't the hero of every situation here. Let me just say that. Um, but no one is. And I think there is. No one is. And that's not an excuse, by the way. I'm just saying that if we think that, like, I mean, the people who see themselves as the hero of every situation, that is its own issue. But the That's acknowledgement that somehow you can be the hero of every situation, like, you can't be. Like, people are going to make mistakes. And often, uh, Nick Cave said something about regrets, which was that sometimes you can't make amends to the people that you hurt. And the only way you can truly make amends is by, in the future, trying to you know, treat other people not in that way and not make those mistakes again. And that is the only thing that you can do. Like, I mean, it's nice that you can act, it's nice in the occasions when you can actually repair the damage that was done to the thing, but maybe sometimes that can't be the case. And right. All you can do is not do that thing again. And if you can, and if, and if possible, somehow pay it forward or laterally or something like that. It's, the biggest problem with people is that, you know how, like sometimes you're super stubborn and really, you don't want to be bossed. People don't like to be bossed around. So if like I had a job once and I am going to tell you something, I don't know that I've, all right. Uh, the, uh, I had a job where my boss, my boss's brother came and he became like an interim boss. And we had all worked at this place and the, and the, and the new guy was like, we have to put things into effect so that no one can steal from this company. 
And we all were like, no one's stealing from this company. What do you, what do you want to do? And she's like, well, we have to have checks and balances to make sure no one's doing it. And we're like, no one's stealing. What are you going to do? And so he put in all these checks and balances. And so I was like, oh, so now, n- now you think no one can steal from this country company. It's like, yeah, it's not possible anymore. Guess what I did, Will? Stole from the I company. stole some yeah. stuff from the company. Yeah. Well, of course you did. Uh, <laughs> I mean, challenge accepted. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> throw down. And it's not, that's not cool. No. So, you know, I had to, it took me a long time to figure out, you know, because I made a deal with a friend of mine. And she was like, you know, if you're a jackass, you have to just, you know, apologize in the moment until she was like, a she has a she has a program, right? She has a she has a plan where she's like you got to eventually eventually you get sick of apologizing mm-hmm. for being a jerk and you stop before you're a jerk. Mm-hmm. So I once threw a bell pepper at a guy who was bagging my groceries. Mm-hmm. And uh that's not okay. So can but I we had, can we I had, ask though? I mean, of course it's not okay, but I need to know what led to you throwing the bell pepper at the guy who was bagging your groceries. He, there must it can't ba- have just been you weren't just right. going around throwing Heavier bell peppers things at people. We're going yeah. on top of lighter mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was doing it incorrectly, yeah. mm-hmm. and I kind of lost. And I was just like, "Look at this!" And I threw it at him, and I missed, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it went on the ground, and I stormed out. Mm. Uh, like the piece of work yeah. that I was. And I called my friend who we had made this decision <laughs> to call each other whenever we were, because we both had the same kind of thing where we'd lose it in retail situations. And she was like, well, where are you? And I said, well, I'm driving away. And she said, well, you have to drive back and apologize to that kid. And I was like, oh, right. That was part of the other part of the agreement. And so I drove back. And then like a year and a half later, and she and I are, very good friends and we have coffee regularly and I was going to meet her for coffee, but I was super thirsty. So I stopped at a liquor store to buy a soda. There was a long line, the guy in front of me in line, I finally get to right before the cash register. And the guy at the line is, um, just chatty, chatty Mm -hmm. McChatterson about his purchase. And I'm just like, can I just leave? Can I just, Mm -hmm. can I just, can I just, and finally, and the, and the guy working the register was like, you got to wait your turn. And I snapped and I crushed the $5 bill and I threw it in his face. And I walked out with my soda pop and I got in the car and I went to visit my friend who I is the friend that I have the mm-hmm. pact with. And she was like, wait, that soda? And I said, yes. And she goes, well, then what happened? And I said, well, I came here to have coffee with you. And she was like, <laughs> nope and she's done it too she's had to yeah. turn around and go back mm-hmm. and you know whatever so but here's the thing is that a, and this is when she said something very funny to me which was are, are you ever just going to get so sick of apologizing to strangers you'll stop before and that was one of the last times i've ever lost it in a retail situation because okay, I mean, um, but i do yeah it's so funny like what triggers us as human beings right like so one of the things that I had to do was I realized that I was at my absolute worst when I was late for things. For whatever reason, oh. being late for things is is my trigger. I can't it, – okay. it's just one of those things where 
things that I would normally be able to deal with rationally, I suddenly become absolutely frustrated with everything if I'm right. running late for things. <laughs> and to the point where I just couldn't change my personality to be able to deal with it, the only solution was that I had to institute something in which I am always now early to things. Like I now have a reward system built into it. Like if I get to something, I always leave early to things. If I get there early, that means I can go and get a coffee or like I'll reward myself or get an ice cream or a treat or whatever it might be. Like (laughs) Good for you. But but I had to do it that way so that – like it had to be built in with a reward. I couldn't just change my personality. I just had to change the situation. So yeah, the other day, so you'll in, you'll enjoy the absolute <laughs> irony of the story I'm about to tell you. So I, because of this plan that I have to not get frustrated about running late, I, I got early to something. In fact, I was about 20 minutes early. And 20 minutes early is like a really good – so some people would be frustrated by being that early. But I, what I've learned is the earlier you are, the more elaborate the treat can be, right? <laughs> so I decided I was going to get myself a gelato. There was a nice gelato place near where I, this appointment was. I was going to wander down 20 minutes. That was a perfect amount of time for me to get a gelato, to eat the gelato, and then go to this meeting. That was perfect. And I get down to this gelato place, and it's quite a warm day. And the line's a little longer, but I'm like, oh, well, this is okay. I'm still going to have time to get my gelato. And then this particular gelato place will let you taste like, you know, the like let people taste oh, right. the individual sample, sample the gelatos. Yeah. And there was one woman at the start of this thing who was like sampling like six or seven different gelatos and the line wasn't moving. And suddenly I feel like the same anger about like being late and being right, like, you're gonna because be I'm going to be now. late now because I'm not going to get my treat that is, <laughs> is designed. <laughs> and I'm mad at this. I'm like, you can't tell what a pistachio gelato is going to taste like. Make it just, like, And I'm like, oh my God, the thing that is meant to stop me feeling like this <laughs> is now making me feel this exact right. same reaction. So, so you know, yes. th- there is, even when we are trying to be, you know, good humans, it doesn't necessarily right. mean that we're not going to. It doesn't no. always work. Yes. Some, sometimes you, you, you snap and then you have to apologize anyway. So I will say this. Uh, I have, a, I have learned to apologize correctly. And when I've apologized, by the way, no one has ever said to me, no, no, that was fine. You're it's okay. Everyone has always gone. Yeah. Thanks. Mm. You were nuts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't expect that you're going to get uh, absolved of it. Like, so that's the hard no. work because it's easier to drive away and just take your side yeah. and never go back, right? The hardest <laughs> right. thing is to go back, apologize, and then be very open to the idea that the apology might not even be accepted, or it certainly, <laughs> right. you certainly might be called to account for the actions that you have. There is an interesting case at the moment in Australia. There is a sports reporter who – he was a young guy, sports reporter, um, lost his job about, I don't know, a year and a half ago because uh, some text messages or a voice recording or something of him talking to his friends in a derogatory way around women in particular, like got leaked out, he lost his job, etc., He's been recently re-employed, much to the chagrin of people online. And look, I mean, the things he said at the time were pretty gross. Like, you know, very young young men sort of things to say. Um, Right. 
but I've been following this story and I must admit that there was a part of me that initially probably had the same reaction of like, oh, this feels like a little soon for this guy to, you know, be welcomed back. He wasn't not necessarily with open arms, but I was very interested to hear often in those sort of situations, there is a minimizing of what you did or there is a blaming it on some life situation or something else. And this young man has done, I think, a, a very admirable job. And again, he would be the first to say, so because what he has done is every time, even if I said this, something like this to him, the first thing he would say is, thank you, but I am not the victim here. I recognize that what I did was inappropriate. I absolutely deserve to lose my job. You know, I've done a lot of work and I understand entirely what I did was wrong and I'm going to have to li- – and when other people try to minimize it or try to go, you know, blah, 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 he's he is actually instead of – Piped up. He's the one who's he's piped doing the up. Work. He's doing the work. Yeah, he's – And he's really yeah. doing it. He's saying, like, properly – and that's yes, to be admired that, to me, like because that right. is a pass back to show people that you can you can fuck up, and if you honestly decide to go, oh, I understand actually that I did fuck up, and I want to change myself and be a different person and be a role model to show people that what I did was not okay, but there is also a pass back from fucking up and doing something that's not okay, yes. and also with that comes the acknowledgement that there are going to be a group of people who are never going to think it's okay and are never going to take the time to... Right. And a group of people that are think that you did, you shouldn't mm. have apologized. Mm-hmm. And you've also got to be... On both sides of that. And you've got to dismiss them as well. If you're actually doing yeah. the work, you can't give... Because yeah. there are. There are a lot of people who are apologize or minimize what he did in the first place. And sometimes yeah. the hardest work of all is for him to say, and this is what I've admired about this young man, is that when the ones who would minimize or think that he shouldn't have apologized, he yeah. he, he is the one yeah. who keeps bringing up, no, 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 I deserved what happened to me. And I think right. that is, like, that's the bit that's really that's caught my path. attention where that, I'm like, that is yeah. That is exactly the path where you, because the biggest problem is to figure out what you actually did wrong. Because if you're just joking, if you're just riffing, if you're with friends, if you're just saying something weird, and all of a sudden you've hurt some feelings and you're just like, oh, did I? And then how bad did you hurt the feelings? Or in, and in, in some cases, you know, if it's a crime, you have to figure out how to actually pay for that crime. Like if it's assault or if it's, and whether that's just punching someone in the nose or, um, or if it's sexual or something oh, yeah. like that. I mean, there are, yeah. I mean, criminality, genuine criminality, you know, needs to be addressed in the appropriate forum for criminality as well. You know, yeah. like, and then when you yeah. pay that debt to society, mm. if you also understand there what you did wrong, mm. you know, I, it's all self. We all spend so much of our time navel gazing, trying to figure out what our parents did to us and what, and and w- why other people had different parent stuff and and how to really grow up. You know, to, for me to realize in the last probably seven years, and remember, Will, I'm a hundred years old. <laughs> in a last seven years, I've realized that I I am the adult mm. in every situation. Mm-hmm. Even with other adults, no one is more disappointed than me to find this out. Mm. Uh, I know. It is so dis- not- it's terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> Even if they're not being mature yeah. adults, it turns out I'm still supposed mm-hmm. to be. What a pain in the ass. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass. Uh, I'm I'm very interested in the fact that you mentioned fiction because this has become a fascination with me since the Adelaide Fringe Festival in uh, April, April, May, uh, April, March this year. Um, So I was in a bookshop in uh, Rundle Street in Adelaide and uh, I was talking to a guy there and I was just going in buying the the usual books that I would buy, which was like biographies and books about the world. These are essentially mostly what I read. It was funny. I was doing this this show recently with a a young Australian performer and she was talking about hobbies. And I was like, I don't really feel like I have hobbies. And she goes, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I read. And she goes, well, why don't you consider reading to be a hobby? And I said, I think it was because of why I read. Like a lot of the time as an adult, I read books about the world, you know, say a book about social media or about some political issue or about whatever it might be. And it feels like almost like homework for my job or, you know, our our uh, worldview. And the same with, okay. you know, biographies. A lot of times it might be someone who's going to be a guest on the show or these sort of things. There feels like there's some connection to it that doesn't feel like it's necessarily a hobby. And this guy who was working at this bookshop was saying one of the things that Men do a lot, particularly middle-aged men, which is what I am, a middle-aged man. Uh, he said they stop reading fiction. They 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 stop oh. reading fiction books. And he said he thinks it's really destructive that men don't read fiction books. And so That's fascinating. So uh, since February, March this year, I have made it a very conscious effort to read like one fiction book for every you know, other book that I might read. I'm trying to read fiction more. And, you know, it might be, as you said, a mystery or it might be a fantasy book or it might be whatever it might be, but it's something that is fiction. I have got a book that you may or may not enjoy. No pressure. I'm very excited about it, though, because it's it's a book that I – it's not normally the kind of book that I would read, Mm. but I think you might enjoy it. And maybe you've even read it, but it's called A Gentleman in Moscow. No, I have not. Written by Amor Tolls, T-O-W-E-L-S, spelled like mm. towels. That can't be right. L-E-S. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Amor Tolls. And um, A Gentleman in Moscow is uh, set right after uh, the Russian Revolution in 1917. It goes to 1960. And a man is put under house arrest at a very fancy hotel in Moscow. And I have never, and it is beautifully written. It is incredibly funny, sweet, smart, and kind of in the world, in the world of fiction, one of the greatest books I've ever read about acceptance. Cause this guy has to accept his lot in life. And it is, it was fascinating. It was and a nonfiction book that I've read and reread and then listened to it on Audible because I'm working on something is uh, a, a book about Churchill during the Blitz. Mm. It's called The Splendid and the Vile. And it's by that guy who wrote about the serial killer in Chicago. I don't like that book. But this book, it's called The Splendid and the Vile. And it's about sort of a biography of Churchill, but not from the perspective of Churchill, but from the perspective of letters and diaries of everyone around Churchill. Okay. And that, and what I got from that, by the way, was hope. 
again uh, because and that's what I get from fiction I get sort of I get hope about people I get because I read stories that are are fantastical but are also and this is this is the best example but it is not like right now I'm almost exclusively reading mystery novels mm-hmm. Which is weird, but because uh, I never got into. Do you have a reason? Do you think it is? Uh, because during lockdown, I watched so many murder mystery shows from BritBox that I was like, I kind of want to read murder mystery novels now. And so now I'm in like my fifth or sixth author. Uh, who, one of them who, is. Yes, who, who have you been reading? Well, I genuinely like a. He's a game show host and a stand-up comic out oh, yeah. of Britain named Richard Osman. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, very. The Thursday well known. does a very good job. Yeah, the Thursday mm. Murder Club books yeah. are adorable and funny and smart yeah. and and not comedy funny. No, just character-driven funny, yeah. beautifully written funny. And then um, I like a Jennifer Winspear has written a series set between World War One and World War Two, uh, and the name of her uh her investigator is uh Maisie Dobbs. Have mm-hmm. you ever heard a more British name? I mean, it's from, pretty British, like, the, Maisie Dobbs. The East Side of Lo- <laughs> London kind of <laughs> Did your dad steal apples from <laughs> and uh <laughs> It turns out her dad sold apples for a living. Anyway, the character. But uh but uh and then I'm reading a Canadian author named Louise Penny and her books are set in rural Canada, the the a small brigadoon like like idyllic um village outside of Montreal called Three Pines and this Montreal cop has to keep coming there cuz murders keep happening there. And um but I read in Louise Penny's book, I read what I think is a boot. And this is the thing about re- getting any sort of information about from, from fiction. Yes, people do research. It's still fiction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like getting your news from stand-up comics. Yeah. You're going to need another <laughs> yeah, source, that's right. my friend. Just a second source would be good. It <laughs> <laughs> turns out you can't believe everything that stand-up comedians say. I know that's been in the news a little recently, but it should be oh a guiding God. principle that you should get a second exactly. source. Oh, my God. Poor Hassan. What an idiot. I mean, uh, yeah. So- I mean, look, I, I, and I love Hassan, and he's been on my podcast before as well. And he, he I'd probably took that idea of emotional truth and actual truth a little further than you probably should. If you are going to, like we've all, you know, combined different people into characters or combined stories or changed a detail to make it more comedic. But if you do that, you should not make them really identifiable things that can be fact-checked and be proved not to be true. Do you remember Steve Ranazizi? He was the guy who... Uh, for Australian the, the listeners, the hero of 9/11. Yeah, he, he's the hero of 9/11. That's right. Except guys. that he was not in 9/11. <laughs> that was the spoilers. <laughs> was not in 9/11, despite the fact that he's, he had said that he was uh, in was New York in during like 9/11. One of the twin towers, yeah. and, that, and then they found out 20 mm. years later he'd been eat, dining out mm. on that story for 20 years, and then he found out that he worked in Midtown. Mm. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> it's cop, but 
Um, yeah, I okay. mean, there's a difference between so, pe so people talking to yes. my father and finding out that I was actually, you know, much more equipped at being a dairy farmer's kid than I have pro possibly made out to people <laughs> over the years. <laughs> right. You have opposable thumbs. You could squeeze yeah, a teeth. Yeah, I, was, I anyway. was absolutely fine at things. If I was as bad at things as I've implied, the entire farm would have gone <laughs> under in the time that I was involved. <laughs> Right. Okay. So in this Louise yes. Penny book, there was this amazing sentence that um, that I think is like a Buddhist idea of emotions that look the same but are actually twisted versions of each other. Mm -hmm. Like a love, there's love and attachment. So a, attachment masquerades as love. Pity masquerades as compassion and indifference for equanimity. So you can love somebody and let them go, or you can love somebody and then move to where they live and watch them live their lives. Like, you know, the, the, the example would be a parent, you know, who was like, you have to let go of your kids eventually, or you could insist that you build a compound and they live in a house right down the block from you. I mean, I've said this so often in my life that my parents always said their parenting style, they summed it up. They said, we're going to love you enough that you don't want to leave home before you finish high school and not love you so much that you want to stay at home after you finish high school. And <laughs> I think that that, I mean, is actually not true in that they love me yeah. so much that there's never been a time in my life that I haven't felt supported. But I like the way they framed that, which was that, that, allowing me to leave and in fact encouraging me to leave was also an act of love it's an act mm. of love you have to yeah you have to not try mm. to control and attachment is control mm -hmm. and and it was just such an interesting idea in this thing and then pity as compassion because pity compassion is just being just understanding mm -hmm. and allowing something right and going i get that that's horrible pity has a tinge of judgment to it, you know? And the one that gets me, because I am this, and I am not this, I have been this, which is indifference and equanimity. And equanimity, of course, is some sort of peace of mind or serenity. And that can also look like indifference. Mm -hmm. And for many years, I was indifferent. <laughs> but... It didn't, I just, uh, do you ever see a, a Dick Cavett talking to Janis Joplin no. in, in the Dick Cavett show? Mm -hmm. It's a great clip if you get a chance. But Janis Joplin, you would, it almost looked like she kind of like, she floored Dick Cavett. Because Dick Cavett asked her a dumb question. It's fine. They're on a talk show. But he asked her why someone like Connie Francis that she sang, that why Janis Joplin sang so differently than Connie Francis. Connie Francis, a great musician, a singer, song, not a songwriter, but just a singer from the 50s and 60s, who was, you know, quaffed and very put together in sort of 1950s looking, right? And had a great set of pipes and was a delight. But uh, Janis Joplin, and Janis Joplin explained it, she said, it's like the, I, do, I do music differently than Connie Francis. I get I get under the song. 
you know, I'm just wandering around underneath that song and trying to figure out where it, where all the labyrinth is. And she said, it's like your stand-up. Your stand-up is up here. You don't get underneath it. And it's really funny, but it's real cerebral and up here. And you would have thought she slapped him. Because, you know, he want, I'm sure he wants to think of himself as a, you know, as not an intellectual. But he's good at stand-up, yeah. you know. No, no, I mean, and all those things Just can different. be good, right? Yeah. Like, yes. It's a, yeah, I, I mean, I, I love all this. I, I, I mean, that. I, just, I, I absolutely love all this. I'm conscious of the fact that, like, we've already been speaking for 90 minutes, and I haven't asked some of the questions that I ask as standards oh. on this podcast. So I'm gonna Let's do it. I'm gonna ask some of those now. We we start here. It seems like we're diving in on the deep end, but it is with purpose. So, what do you think happens when we die? Oh wow! Um, obviously, I don't know. It'd be great if somebody came on with full confidence and decided that they did know. I mean, I'm asking, <laughs> mostly asking stand-up comedians, Jackie, so I'm not really looking for an actual answer Two to this question. Two comics die and go to heaven. <laughs> They're in line and St. Peter's there. And St. Peter says to the person in front of them, mm. why should I let you into heaven? And she says, well, I was a nurse. I was really good to people. Uh, and he goes, all right, you can go in. And then two people... And then a guy's in front of them, and the St. Peter says to the guy, why should I let you into heaven? And the guy goes, well, I was a firefighter. I saved a lot of lives and property. And St. Peter goes, all right, I'll let you in. And then St. Peter says to the two comics, why should I let you in? And the comics look at each other and go, we're the comics? Mm. And there you go. So uh, here's what I think happens. I, like, I enjoy that joke, but I've heard a different, a slightly different version of that. Like, which I'm going to tell you, yes, which please. is that everybody's standing up at the in the line to, to St. Peter to do their things. And in the version I heard was the comedians walk past the line and say, we're the comics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it better. <laughs> There's, I only know like two joke jokes. Okay. So uh, when you die, <laughs> here's what I hope happens. Uh, I hope it's sort of like it's a wonderful life uh-huh. where I get to look and, and see, I, I, I get to travel through time and space. Mm-hmm. That's what I hope happens. Yeah. Because and, and I love the idea. And see the impact that you had on the world. I mean, is that what you mean? Not me. No. Nah, it's all right. That's fine. I, I don't need to see my, I mean, I assume mm. my impact will be extraordinary. I'm not going to have to relive it. Uh, that's fine. I'll take a small statue, something slimming. Uh, yeah, based on a headshot from 15 years ago. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> no, I, yeah, just, just, uh, just kind of want to go. I love history. I kind of want to go back and see it. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a time travel question at the end. So we'll save like me exploring that further for that. But I uh, um, am going to ask you this question then. Uh, if you had to, and this is a hypothetical question. So like, you know, the, you, you don't have the option, unfortunately, this hypothetical to say, I don't want either of these things. You have to choose one or the other, <laughs> if that is okay. Um, it is actually a question that I first heard Kurt Bronholler um, posed to Pete Holmes on yes. his podcast. But I love this question so much. I've appropriated it not as my own because I always mention where I heard it first but I yes. uh, but I now ask it to people which is this if you had to 
Uh, would you prefer to know when or how you die? I think when. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that I could just hope for how, mm. which of course is a sharp blow to the head. I don't see coming. Uh, is it? Like, I mean, I have in darker times in my life often Googled the like the most painless or the, the, you know, the quickest way to die, right, right. you know, like what you're just like, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, you know, I'm like, and again, this is not to minimize anyone who's ever been in these circumstances. In no. fact, I talk about it in a way to acknowledge that we've all had various versions of this, but yes. there is a part of me that in any time where I've thought about like ending my own life or at least been in a point where like that has felt like a good option to me, like there's still be always been an element of, but I want to do it in a way that will be both effective and as painless as possible, or at least as quick right, as right. possible. Hundred percent you know? like, successful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't want to like. Yes. I don't want any miss. like. Yeah, like. But what if I? I am the guy who survives the fall off the cliff. You know what I mean? Like that's always what yeah. runs through my mind. A lot yeah. of the time, at my darkest, it's been prevented by that. But what if I can't? Like, you know, because <laughs> often you're feeling hopeless already in that situation. So you're like, yeah. I'll probably fuck this up too. Right. Right. I'm not good <laughs> yeah, at this I'm at like, all. Yeah, right. right? Like, yeah. Do you want to hear my father's yeah. advice when uh-huh. I was suicidal? Yep. All right. I'm in my early 30s. For some mm-hmm. reason, we're talking about this. And I say to him that I don't feel good. And he goes, yeah, sometimes in your 20s and 30s, you want to kill yourself. And I said, "How? why is that? How yeah. is that helpful? Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, here's the good news. Sometimes in your 20s and 30s, you want to kill yourself. In your 40s and 50s, you don't want to kill yourself anymore. Sometimes you just want to die. But here's the really good news. If you can make it to 60, you're kind of home free. Because by the time you're 60, you're like, I need like 15 more years. By the time you're 70, you're like, I need like seven more years. My dad is 86. And I talked to him not long ago. He said, I went to somebody's 100-year-old birthday party the other day. And I realized this. He just told me this actually like three weeks ago. He goes, I realized this. Nobody wants to be 100 until they're 99. And I was like, he is not wrong. He is. Uh, yeah, I. Yeah. I mean, that, there's a lot, actually quite a lot of wisdom in all of that. I think, and all of it. I. It's funny. I met a 98 year old, 99 year old, a couple of days ago. I was walking my dog around the block at night, and there was an old fella um, just crossing the street. Not only his walking frame, but he was crossing the street, and I just took a moment just to. I mean, literally, I was. More than anything, like just walking the dog and letting the dog sort of wander aimlessly, but also just making sure that this old fella was all right and getting across the show. He was absolutely fine. He was, you know, he was. And anyway, he then ended up stopping for a chat. And as people who are 98 uh, and have served in the war, uh, I've, t- in my right. experience, tend to do, they lead with that. He told, he told me that he was <laughs> 98 and that he was one of the only people left he'd served, you know, in his generation of the war and that sure. he was in the Air Force and told me, like, really, I didn't have to ask. It all came out. Pretty- <laughs> 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 Found out how long, but he, how long he'd been living here and uh, uh, right? that he and his wife were still together and they were both still alive and he was 98 and I think she was 93 and, like, it it was wow. quite an amazing story, really. But. Wow. Was was he in from 1940? or Yeah. Because he would have been 18 in 1940. Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah. So yeah. that's, yeah, so served in the Air Force. That's plenty. That's plenty of war. That's plenty. That's enough. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think he was talking about Afghanistan. 
and I think it was. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't the Falklands. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, yes. So, if you knew when, um, then uh, do, how much do you think that that would affect the way that you live your life? So, um, you know, right. so let's let's go two extremes of it. You know, let's say. So if you were going to live to 100, let's say you're going to have like another 40, 40 odd years, right? Or okay. it's another four or five years. So let's go the two extremes. Or four months, yeah. right? I know. I mean, it could always be that. But for the sake of my conversation here, okay. let's go with you've got four or five years left or you've got 45 years left. Right. How, does, it, um, does it substantially change the way you live? Does that substantially change the way you live the next few years? I think so, because mm. I tend to live my life like there's 45 yep. years. I don't live my life like there's four mm. years. Um, weirdly enough, I think if there were four years left, because I mm. just told my husband that I'm going to Egypt in the next two years, uh-huh. whether he wants to come or not, because mm. I want to see the pyramids. Mm-hmm. I just want to look at them. I've always wanted to look at them. I almost went twice, got talked out of it, got told that it was too dangerous. And then a friend of mine went on an idiot tour of Egypt where somebody Arab, you pay somebody like a grand or two grand, and they take you everywhere you're supposed to see. And I mean, some people like to travel and they're like, I just want to see it, man. Just And I'm like, what did you see? And they're like, I don't know. And you're like, I want to see the things I came to see. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't want to live like a tourist. And I'm like, but you are a yeah. tourist. I, but that's also exactly what tourist. I want to do. Yeah, I have. I don't know what yeah. else is going on in Egypt. If I'm going to Egypt, yeah. I want to see the pyramids. Yeah, please take mm. me to the pyramids. Take take me down the weird, you know, there's like a weird old people boat thing that goes down the Nile. Mm. I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's fine. And will there also be lunch? Thank you. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. I, I did. Um, and, you know, you can call me a, an idiot for doing it. But guess what? Guess who saw everything when I went to Vietnam and Cambodia? Mm-hmm. Me. Mm-hmm. I saw bugs on a stick. I saw Angkor Wat. I saw the killing fields. I saw the American Museum of Atrocities. I went to, you know, I got to see stuff. I had a bond me, even though we were mocked. Uh, we were mocked for wanting a bond me. Because uh, the uh, Qua, that our, our, mm. our dude who was showing us around, he was like, I've been taking you to people's houses for amazing meals for $6. And you want a 75 cent street sandwich? Because, you know, Anthony Bourdain had one. But also, <laughs> and we're because, like, like yes. if you go to, like, what. You know, if you have, if you enjoy something in your own country that is a version of the thing that is traditionally from that country, and then you go to that country and don't try that thing, it makes no sense. <laughs> right. I want. I had pod Thai in Thailand. Right. Guess what? It's better in Van Nuys. Yeah. Uh, or, <laughs> but that's at fine. Least but at I least I enjoyed it, it more. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Your taste is more accustomed to, but yes, the version to some sort of Americanized yes, the version, version of Chinese food, food you eat. Better. Yeah, that's right. It's like not always, like you know. I mean, the version of it is exactly. Yeah, that's right. Like the pizza that you eat is different to the pizza that they serve in Italy. But <laughs> it's weird not to go to, to eat pizza when you're in Rome. Right. I had gelato in in. Uh, in in Florence yes. on purpose because right. they make it 
Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes, that makes a lot of sense to me. So what do you think the major difference is then? If you So Egypt, of course, but like, yeah, if you found out that it was four or five years, what do you think the major thing? I don't think I'd go to Egypt. Yeah, okay. I think I'd want to spend every moment with Andy. Uh-huh. Like 45 years, I'd be like, See ya. Yeah, say I'm going to Egypt for a four while. years. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. I, don't, yeah, I don't need to go to I'm Egypt. I'm going to go take a month. <laughs> yeah, I can look uh, up the pyramids on Google. I got, I got the gist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll buy an Oculus. And, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but four years, I yeah. definitely, I'd stick around. Did you, I mean, that's a, a very beautiful thing to say. And like, is, you know, is also... What a great gift you have found in your life that you found someone yeah. that when you're asked that question, your first instinct yeah. is I would rather spend more time with that person than go and see Ugh. something that was, you know, possibly built by at the bare minimum, a modern wonder of our age by slaves or Some aliens genius. or something. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's going to be slaves, yeah, but yeah. even the aliens could have been slave owners, yeah, that, I mean, but that, I doubt it was yeah, aliens. Yeah, that's true. Slaves would have been involved even if the aliens got involved. Oh, yeah. Um, They're still not doing the heavy my lifting. My dog just wants to go outside. Most of this podcast okay. is me moving around to let my dog do things, so I'm just going to... I might turn a yeah, light up. What the heck? It did get dark there. Before, Andy, did you... Like, was love a big thing in your no. mind or in no, your I had, world? No, I had no boyfriends. I had. Uh, I would occasionally get laid. And um, I had a boyfriend very briefly when I first started doing stand-up comic who was very nice, but, you know, I just, I just liked him. You know, I was, <laughs> I was 19 and uh, I still like him. He's a nice man and uh, he's married to a very nice woman. And um, yeah, my first and only boyfriend was a comedian. And then uh, the following 20, as my sister likes to say about Andy, uh, she says, you know, if you're going to wait 17 years to have another boyfriend, good choice. Mm. Andy's great. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so when I started doing stand-up, it was, I hung around with so many guys and I was one of the guys and I was, you know, I was like, and the guys all got laid and got drunk and were idiots. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and I embraced it, my friend. And uh, it wasn't my finest hour, but, um, you know. So when I met Andy, I did, uh, it was online dating. So, because I decided that I, and whenever anybody asks me for like comedy advice, I always say, remember to have an entire life. Stand-up comedy is one of the best things. It saved my life. It got me some of the best friends I have. It's beautiful. It's incredibly fulfilling, but it is not everything. And there is other things that you're going to want. You're going to want, like, I have, he's taught me, my stand-up has changed so much since Andy. That second album is me learning to embrace the silly and learning to just, uh, Literally just kind of, and this is creepy to say out loud, but I've softened. Anyway, because I was a bit of a hard ass. I used to think that, you know, was I Rorschach? You know, people I'd walk in and people would either go, Norm, or don't uh, don't get on her bad side. And guess what? Absolutely no one thought either of those things, I bet. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it did, but I, my perception of myself and what I was willing to, to be perceived as changed. 
just having that much, someone who likes you that much, as Andy likes me, is, it's just kind of a gift, you know? And he also, and he has his own life and his own, you know, career and his own, there's this independence in him. Because I always felt, I was scared that I would be suffocated. And I was afraid that I would, because I'm the youngest of six, that I would have to protect him. And the first people I introduced him to were two of the best of my siblings in Minneapolis, my brother and sister, Phil and Darla. And I, so I take him to Minneapolis to meet my family for the first time, Phil and Darla. They're the best. They're the, the biggest liberals. They're the most self-aware. They've got a sense of politeness. They have the best manners. Forgetting that it's also my comedy hometown, and I have a hundred brothers who do stand-up comedy. So the first time Andy met Louis Lee and Dave Mordahl, the comic, last comic standing first season, very funny, uh, Dave and Lewis, I think it was Dave, I don't think it was Lewis, uh, who said to Andy, so what's Jackie like in the sack? Gross. And Andy just grabbed a chair, turned it around, straddled it and said, you guys want to know? Let's do this. And it's, and you've never seen Dave Mortal blush. Uh, just, it shut him down. And I was like, oh, I've chosen wisely. He can stand mm-hmm. up for himself. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. He's an adult man. Right. It's one of my favorite things about him. Wow. Yeah. Um, what, Jackie, what is the best or worst piece of advice you've ever been given in your life? I love, personally, anyone who listens to this show knows I love bad advice. So people who've given you bad advice, if there's any bits that re- you can remember, like sometimes people can't remember bad advice because it was bad and they just dismiss it. But if there is any piece of bad advice that you remember, I love Ooh. hearing about it. Mitch Fatel. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Goofy, goofy comic mm-hmm. and 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 very funny yeah. button pusher. If you're into that, mm-hmm. uh, I once featured for him in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he told me never lose weight, Jackie, because that's gonna be your hook. You're gonna be the fat woman comic, and I was like, but what about my health? <laughs> Mitch. And what about my heart? And he was like, no. So that's the worst that is, I think that I, mean, I can remember. Right. That's perfect though. What a <laughs> great answer to that question. That is, I love it. Uh, Jackie, if you could wake up tomorrow, you don't have to do your 10,000 hours to learn how to do this thing. You just are going to wake up tomorrow and you have a skill, any type of skill. You can interpret that however you want. You just have it. You don't have Sailing. to work for it. Sailing. sailing sailing i've always wanted to sail why well where does that come from that comes from a desire to be a al- hello andy uh this comes from a desire to be alone on the ocean <laughs> although andy could come yeah. you could come <laughs> it'll be fine you want to poke in hey andy Just wave. how are you mate <laughs> how are you mate? we've been there you go. we've been saying some very oh, nice things done. about you oh, okay. almost well, i was just uh should I feed the dogs? Feed the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. <laughs> and then-
bunny ears. See, I'm telling you, it's an appreciation of silly that I never would have. Oh, uh, speaking of dogs, mine's barking again. Hang on, this is. <laughs> the dog has been let out, and now let's let the dog back in, because it is the nature of dogs. Pat Oswald has a new joke, very funny about uh, if cats could talk. It's very funny because he loves his cat. Pat Oswald has a new cat. That's an anecdote. There you go. I told an anecdote. Oh, while I wasn't here? Beautiful. Yep. I love that. I do like when the guest continues the podcast when I'm not here. <laughs> it's like, I, it's one of my favorite parts of the I podcast. I So, um, yeah. yeah, my dogs, it's been a real progressive morning for my dog. She's been all over the place this morning. So, uh, she has not been out for a walk. Uh, yet today it was a bit hot when I got up this morning for to take her for a walk so we're gonna have to wait until it's evening time which means that she's just been you know doing a little procession around the house in and out up on the couch everywhere so uh yes so Jackie uh I I asked you the question yes sailing so we were talking about sailing did you talk about sailing while I wasn't here or did you talk about something else okay no I didn't talk about sailing so tell me about sailing then what is it about sailing I Love the idea of being on a boat that doesn't have a motor Mm. and figuring out how to use the wind. Mm -hmm. And um, I, one time when I was a kid, uh, one of my, one of my cousins, we went to a, we went to a, just a small lake and there was, it was when, I think it was when windsurfs, windsurfers were first Mm -hmm. invented. And I spent probably three hours trying to teach myself how to windsurf. And uh, eventually, like, you know, like a child, eventually exhausted because I was about 11. My my stepmother was like, that was amazing watching you just get back up and get on that thing and then have the sail ripped out of your hand over and over and over again. But I would love... I would love to sail just I've been on several sailboats and every time I am not, and I'm not, I get, I tend to get a little seasick, Mm -hmm. but I think I'd get used to it. And, um, but I just, I love it so much. I, I did it. We did it in the Whitsit, Whitsit? Yeah, Whitsundays. Whitsundays. That's it. So we went on a a sailing trip. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's a really beautiful place to sail obviously so for people who don't know the the where the people in australia people who are listening internationally may have heard of the great barrier reef which is um you know one of the wonders of the world i don't know if it's one of the official wonders of the world but it is like genuinely it's incredible the, it's the, gorgeous. the great barrier reef it, it is dying partly because of climate change yay uh but brilliant that part of australia the Sunday islands um North Queensland, basically, for people who are looking at it on a map, but a beautiful part of the world. I was very lucky. You must, you probably did it as part of the Comedy Festival Roadshow or one of those things, did you? Is it, no, no, we went up to Cairns uh-huh. for the, for the, and and I and I have actually been on a catamaran, uh, it uh, up in Cairns mm-hmm. as well. I've also been on a, uh, off of Cape Cod in Mass, off of Massachusetts, on a sailboat. Here's what I would love to do. I would love to be on a sailboat in the Mediterranean uh-huh. through the Greek islands. Yeah. And um, do you know why? Well, uh, it's a really good looking planet. I'd mm-hmm. like to I'd like to see it without an engine. How about that? Uh, no, and I get without that. a portage. I'd, yeah, I without absolutely a, I don't want to have to yeah, I don't want to carry anything. No, uh, I, I'm a huge fan. I get that. I mean, I would really I get a little seasick as well, but I 
was very like you'd know the comedian Ross Noble for for American listeners. I don't know how familiar they would be with Ross Noble, but he's a I've, yeah, brilliant I've uh, you know UK comedian, but sp- uh, spends a bit of time living in Australia as well. And he uh, can sail. That's one of his skills. Grew up sailing, and I went on a catamaran with him around. Um, I think it was Magnetic Island we we sailed around in wow. North Queensland. And he just – the two of us just went out and he just spoke all day and then like sailed this thing while I just like lay on the catamaran, you know, enjoying <laughs> someone else doing all, all the work. But it right. was an amazing skill to watch someone who just knows how to catch the wind. And like – I mean yes. I, I like you – has spent some time falling on and off a windsurfer and those sort of things. Like I've done that, <laughs> but the idea that you actually know well enough to negotiate your way around an entire island and back again. <laughs> to know how to do that would be an amazing mm-hmm. – that would be an amazing That's gift. a great answer to that question. Uh, Jackie Cation, uh, there's two more questions and then we are done, but I want to plug things. We've obviously talked about all your comedy albums. I think that people should check those out wherever they can find those. They also uh, should uh, listen to the Jackie and Laurie show which is a fantastic podcast but what else your podcast the dog forest of course which uh, uh, I yes. was recently a guest on I have been a guest on twice oh my god and the first episode was about cricket it's one of the greatest episodes there's probably there's okay so there's a, probably 900 episodes and there's probably a I loved all of them, but I would say there's probably a hundred that are kind of amazing. There was one episode, I didn't see it coming. This woman loved sailing. Mm-hmm. It's about bringing back to sailing. She fell in love. No, her topic was pirates. That's it. She loved pirates. Oh, wow. And uh, she fell in fell in love with pirates by seeing the movie based on the ride at Disneyland. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. She fell in love with pirates because of that movie, that Johnny Depp movie. Mm-hmm. And then she got a PhD in the history of pirates in England. Wow. It is the greatest, one of the greatest reveals wow. in an episode of the Dork Forest ever. Weird. Anyway, so I would, I would, if you, I mean, just cull through hundreds of episodes of the Dork Forest. Listen to that cricket episode with Will. And I always think with podcasts, it, this is my general recommendation is... It's absolutely fine to start with people or topics that you enjoy. You, you, if you go through, yes. you will find names of comedians or topics that you enjoy. Start with those. Just but then start don't with stop with those. That's all I say to True. people. Like start with the ones. But it's a good way to get into something is to start like it's. I say that with this podcast, I say start with. I have no problem with somebody coming to this podcast and starting with a name of a comedian that they love. Start with a whole bunch of people you've heard, with, but don't stop listening when you have stopped. You, you don't know who the people are because I guarantee you'll enjoy the episodes with the people that you haven't heard of as much if not more than the ones that you have heard of because you're not just discovering something about their life, but you're discovering a person or a comedian or someone that you've never yeah. heard of before. Yeah, so Google Willosophy and your favorite comedian or Google the Dork Forest and your favorite comedian mm. or your favorite dorkdom. Yes. Like what if it's bees? Yes, a topic. What if you want That's wanna, right. It can just yeah, be a topic, a topic that you are fascinated yeah. with. 
Mine have both been sports-related ones, which does imply that I'm only fascinated by sports, which is not true. It just happens to be that what I could bring to the table that felt unique. And they're weird They're weird sports. For an hour and a half after that cricket episode, <laughs> I knew how cricket was played. It's gone now. <laughs> okay, two more questions and then we're done. Uh, the first one is this. Um, on my desk, I used to have – it was as close to a – inspirational you know motivational slogan as i've ever got it was in a little piece of stone i don't know where it's gone it is somewhere but it it just asked one question and the question was what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail and the way that i would interpret it everyone's always heard me talk about this but i'm going to say it to you which was for me how it was handy was instead of thinking about something like oh how would i do this thing for it to be successful I would think about it the other way around, which was I would imagine the thing I was working on was already successful. And then I would go, what would you like that thing to be that's already successful? Like what if it was, what would you like to be doing? But you can interpret it in whatever way you would like to interpret it. So I asked you that question, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? I have been wanting to have written a novel and I've never, uh, I've never started it. I don't know, I don't know how to write a novel. But I, I bet you, if I started writing a novel, I would have written a novel. And it doesn't matter, quite honestly, if it is successful, because when I think about stand-up comedy, I'm su- I'm pretty successful now, but I'm nobody knows who the hell I am, right? My dog wants in. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, so it doesn't, I mean, I say just do it because no one, someone will either give you money for it or they won't give you money for it. And so do it if you, if you think that you'll get some pleasure out of it, satisfaction out of it, enjoyment out of it, joy out of it. And I, I love the idea that I could just do something like if you if the question was, what would you do if you knew that you would get joy out mm-hmm. of it? It would be write a novel. Mm-hmm. I love it. So that's where I'm yeah. at. And I think I think that's something you're going to do at some stage. I really do. It feels like Ouch. something that uh, and I, I look forward to you're reading encouraging it. me. Uh, the last question, I did promise you a time travel question and here it is. Uh, now this is very hypothetical in that you have no social responsibility in this question. You don't have to go back and warn people about climate change. They won't listen anyway. Scientists have been doing it for years. You do not have to go back in history and kill Hitler unless your particular passion in life has always been to kill Hitler, in which case I'm not (laughs) going to rain on your parade. Uh, but, uh, you can travel anywhere in time forward or backward and none of the consequences of you know there's you don't have to worry about any of the effects that it might have on timelines or any of those sort of things this is purely an in a hypothetical indulgence for you and you alone where would you like to go in this time machine don't think i haven't thought about this at length um i've always wanted to go back and see old growth forests in wisconsin and just see those giant forests forever in the middle of North America. And I used to joke about how if I did do that, 
I would die of exposure because mm. I don't know how to camp. <laughs> but uh, the uh, but that's what mm. I would do. If there's if there would be someone to, someone to show me how to camp, or there you know some I would have the equivalent of a Hampton Inn. Yeah, I mean uh, the time yes. machine's decked out in this scenario, in this hypothetical right, I can, scenario. I can live in you can land TARDIS. the yeah, that's right. It's Tartar style. It's like you yes. can go inside to the toilet and stuff. You don't have to go. Right. Like. <laughs> But I, I would literally, I, I think I would just, I would just go and just see. Yeah, it would be amazing. I think. Yeah, just just fields and forests and lakes and rivers and creeks and all of it. It'd be amazing, don't you think? Yeah, I do. I mean, I love everybody's answer to this question. I'm not. I don't think there's. I mean, I find. Us as human beings, fascinating. I find the planet on which we live fascinating. I find the idea that if we are just a random accident in the corner of an ever-expanding universe and there just happen to be a certain amount of cells and bits and bobs and, you know, light and, you know, suns and all the things that, you know, combine in the right way to make us what we are, like I find all of that amazing. And I, yeah. I you know, I... You know those tiny... Those tiny mm. penguins you guys have mm-hmm. off the, that island off of Melbourne. Yeah, but, but you're talking about Phillip Island, I imagine, and you're talking about yes. what were formerly known as the fairy penguins. Although I believe now they're known as little penguins. I think they've changed the name <laughs> of the fairy penguins. Well, they're because, certainly because, tiny because of bloody political correctness gone mad, mate. You can't even call a bloody <laughs> fairy penguin a bloody fairy penguin anymore. <laughs> bloody woke, bloody woke voice, <laughs> and bloody ruined everything. <laughs> Have you heard Stuart Lee's joke about that? He's just like his gran is always saying stuff like you can't make you can't make tea in the bathtub anymore because of the politically correct. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a kettle. You can't have a kettle. <laughs> Anyway. Uh, Jackie Cation, it has been an absolute delight to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to do it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Listener.